It's Friday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day and a really good show coming up. Uh, my pleasure to have Glenn Perkins, former Twins pitcher, longtime teammate of recently elected Hall of Famer Joe Maurer, and current Twins radio and TV analyst on with me here in just a few minutes. Uh, Glenn Perkins and I will talk about Maurer quite a bit, his recollections of playing with Maurer, what made him so great, some good stories in there about Maurer and, you know, Maurer the guy, Maurer the player, Maurer the ping pong uh, player, and things like that. So stick around for that in just a little while. And a good discussion, too, of the 2024 Twins, what Glenn Perkins likes about them, maybe one thing he might like to see them add still and his thoughts on rising star Royce Lewis, like Joe Maurer, a number one overall pick who has a great amount of potential. Not going to put him on a Hall of Fame track yet, but hey, you never know. The sky is seemingly the limit for Royce Lewis right now after his 2023 real debut. Um, so that's coming up in a few minutes. Got some uh, NFL coaching thoughts at the end of the show as well as maybe a couple extra Maurer thoughts of my own. First, though, what did I miss? Going to be kind of results-heavy in the top uh, top part of the show here. The Wild and Wolves played last night, and they both gave me thoughts on kind of the bigger picture. The Wolves beat the Nets. Um, wasn't pretty. 96-94. It's like they took a time machine to the mid-90s and played a game in the mid-90s. This game might as well have been in New Jersey, not Brooklyn, if they were going to do it that way. Um, Wolves took a big lead, didn't really execute all that well down the stretch, hung on, and won. Like I said, 96-94. Not aesthetically pleasing. They got a nice play to take the lead with about a minute left. Carl Anthony Towns got the got the basketball kind of at the top of the key. Pump faked, goes to the basket, draws defense, lob to Rudy Gobert, dunk. That turns out to be the last two points of the game. Wolves hold on when the Nets miss some free throws in the final seconds. So, you look at it one way and you say, ah, the Nets aren't very good. The Wolves didn't really do well down the stretch. Kind of got fortunate to hang on for this one. Are they really playing their best? You know, there's some grumbling going on about this team, and I've done it a little bit too. Like, there's some grumbling, especially when they lost to the Hornets the other day. Like, what are they doing? What's going on here? Um, so there's some of that going on right now. I would say, though, in the bigger picture, yeah, you want to see them execute better down the stretch. You want to see them be able to turn it on to a higher dial as the season goes on and you get closer to the playoffs. But I would say right now that the, the two things that matter most are A, Keep stacking up these wins. Show that you can do this over the course of a full season, that it's not just a hot start, that you're not just, you know, not just a team that's going to you know, go on a nice, you know, 40 or 50 game run, but then fade. It's more important that you win right now than you gain style points, because the other very important thing here is you got to you got to play for playoff seating right now. The West is absolutely loaded right now. There's going to be a hard team no matter where you finish, but they are certainly trending for a top four finish in the West right now. I mean, they're the number one seed right now. They took reclaimed that position from Oklahoma City. They'd been in it for pretty much the whole year or most of the year anyway, but they lost it um, after a loss the other day. They've got it back now after back-to-back -back wins these last two road games. So they took, took that back over after those wins over Washington and Brooklyn. 
32 and 13. So they're they're clear of everybody. Definitely in the top four conversation to get that home playoff game. Like I said, it's going to be a tough matchup. Like the Lakers are lingering down there. The Warriors, you know, teams with championship pedigrees, other rising teams. Like it's going to be a hard matchup. But you got to get a top four playoff seed. You got to show that you are in that mix now. That you've taken that step. That you're not certainly not play in material, but but of the of the pedigree now that you are going to get a top four seed, have that home court in the playoffs, play a team that you should beat in the first round. And that's like minimum, bare minimum expectations this year. Top four finish, advance at least one round in the playoffs. That was kind of the goal last year. They're kind of one one year behind because last year didn't go the way they wanted to, right? They had a hard time gelling. Cat got hurt. It was It wasn't entirely like a lost season. They got information, but it wasn't the year they wanted to have. So this is the year right now they thought they would have last year and they've got to show it right now can they get to that point so getting to that point means winning ugly sometimes it means winning games when you are not at your best and they've got enough ways to win you know they haven't been shooting great lately they haven't been executing down the stretch but they've been rebounding well they've been getting second chance points they've been getting some of these other kind of defensive factors at key moments that this kind of been their their story of the year to carry them so they've got enough ways to win they have to stay focused enough to do it, and they have to keep this kind of winning momentum going, even if it's not always going to be pretty. Now, speaking of not always pretty, the Wild, their situation, complete opposite. They're kind of in the spot the Wolves have been in in recent years where they're kind of clinging to the fringes of a playoff race, and it didn't go well on Thursday. A big one against Nashville. Sarah McClellan and I previewed not just this game, but kind of what's at stake the rest of the year, how this team has been so up and down. They took a one nothing lead into the third period against Nashville, a team that's directly above them in the wildcard standings. A situation like that, players talked about it after the game. You'd like to think you can win. In fact, the Wild have been very good in those situations this season. I think 14-0-1 prior to this game when leading going into the third period. This is the first regulation loss they have had all season when carrying a lead into the third period. A bad time for it. They've only got one game now before the break, before the All-Star game. Bunch of games against you know division opponents, teams they're chasing in this wildcard race right after the break. So we'll see what they have kind of left in the tank, but disappointing in that game, right? Like they, they carry that lead in the, and then give up, give up two quick goals really early in the third period very you know 30 40 seconds apart whatever it ended up being that's disappointing i think they're disappointed in that it's not always about you know the effort for them right it's about results they've got to get results they're chasing points those were points that were a big swing instead of being two back of nashville which would have been the case had they won in regulation they are six back of nashville one of those huge four point swing games the wild don't get it not like time is completely gone but you can't have too many more of those four-point swings go against you in the second part of the season after the break before things are going to be basically no playoffs, playing for what's going to happen at the trade deadline and what's going to happen next year before you're finally out from under this whole salary cap jail in 25-26. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. 
I've got former Twins pitcher and current radio and TV analyst Glenn Perkins with me today. Longtime teammate of Joe Maurer, um, battery mate for quite some time on a lot of those teams. And uh, I want to talk Twins and Joe with you. How you doing, Glenn? I am good. Uh, it's been a good winter, a warm winter. And uh, yeah, getting the news uh, the other day about Joe was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I'm just ecstatic for him. You were his teammate uh, You before we started recording. I mean, you kind of framed it nicely. Like he was there before you got there and he was still there after you, you were finished. And, you know, 06 was when you debuted. And that was kind of like, the the real beginning of like Mauer Mania. Of course, there was like the draft, and then he debuted in two thousand four, but he got hurt. His two thousand five season was good, but like two thousand six, he hit three forty seven. He wins his first batting title. Like that's that's quite an accomplishment. That's like quite quite a uh, welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and he, he was always uh, a couple steps ahead of me um, in every respect, and, and you know, getting drafted out of high school, getting to the big leagues the year that I got drafted i was still in college when he debuted uh so so i've always been uh, playing catch up with him and and obviously never caught him and, and nobody uh <laughs> that uh, i played with in, in those times even approached anything close to what joe was able to accomplish and uh um but it, it was just an honor to share a field with him i echo that to him i told him that uh, I talked to him the morning uh, of the announcement and then texted him after and then exchanged some texts with him yesterday. And that's basically what I said is, is there was no better to ride the coattails of uh, than you and uh, just proud to be a teammate of his. You obviously you don't think about this while you're playing. You know, you're playing with a great player. You're playing with, a, you know, a, a batting champ, an MVP eventually in 20 in 2009, you know, three time batting champ. Do do you did you think he you know as you're playing with him are you thinking man I I might be playing with a future Hall of Famer or did you like see that arc for him quickly just because of how good he was? It doesn't it doesn't ever feel that way no because you know it, it's like your kids you don't see you don't notice that your kids are growing up because you're with them all the time you know if if you take if you don't see a friend's kid for five years and you see him again you're like holy cow you were a foot shorter the last time I saw you. Right. You would maybe notice it, but being with him the entire time, I, I think it's it's that that you just you get used to seeing him play, and it's just he's a teammate. He's a really good teammate. He's just a guy. He's a guy in the clubhouse. He was different. He was special. We knew all of those things, um, you know, and and that was obvious. But you just don't you don't visualize it in the same way. And and I think the best way for me to put it is like. When I first came up, I, pit, I pitched against Frank Thomas. Okay. And I'm out on the mound, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is the guy that was I, I watched in the 90s. Like He was the best player in the 90s, and now I'm facing him. Like, what am I doing out here? This is really weird. I, I pitched against – or I played with Jim Tomey for a year and a half. I'm, I'm friends with Jim. You know that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, but it, you know when he's in, then out, and then in the Hall of Fame, it, 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 you, you're a little bit more awestruck by him. But, but growing up in the game with Joe, uh, being a leader on the team with Joe, you don't get that same sense. But and I and I feel like maybe that's why it, it hasn't quite sunk in for me that he's he's in that class of players. He's a guy that kids for the next hundred years are going to go to Cooperstown and see and talk about Joe Maurer uh, 
But I, I think it's also just a testament to, to him and how he was able to handle himself in a clubhouse that he never put himself above anybody else either, that he fit into the clubhouse the same way any other role player would. And I think that's what made him such a great teammate. Personality-wise, I don't feel like we ever got all that close to him, not because he was, you know, resistant. It's just his personality is kind of one of, you know, the joke is like boring Joe Mauer, right? Like he's he's predictable. He's kind of got this kind of, you know, he's just this quintessential Minnesotan, great guy, but, you know, kind of what you, what you see is kind of what you get. But was there... You knew him probably better than so many of us. What, what was Joe like, you know, in the clubhouse, behind the scenes? Was it the same or did he cut loose a little bit more? What What do you remember of him from that regard? He he definitely, he's definitely not a guy that, that cut loose. I, I think there's more to him than what the media knows, than what the general public knows. There's no question about that. But it, it put yourself in his situation being a, a generational talent, uh, ends up getting drafted by his hometown team, you have to put up walls. You have to be guarded. He had to take certain measures from the time he was 18 years old to protect himself and to protect his family. And that just became part of who he was. Um, but you, you hear stories about him and how good of a teammate he was, how good of a leader he was. He wasn't the guy that was going to get up in front of the team and yell and, and motivate in that way. He was a guy that if you followed what he did, if you paid attention to what he did day in and day out, and, and did those things, you were going to be a better player. You were going to be a better teammate. You were going to be a better person. That's the way I think that he led the Minnesota Twins for the, the 15 years or whatever it was of his career. It, it was it was a, a not a vocal guy, but, but a lead-by-example guy. And, and that's just his personality. I think, it, you know, there was, like I said, certain walls that he put up, but also his personality isn't one to be super outgoing. Uh, but he's he's friendly to everybody. He's genuine as, as can be. There was no facade with Joe. Um, and he's he's when people ask me what 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 is he actually like, I I, I do tell them you kind of know him. You know who he is, who he was outwardly to the public, to the media. It, truly, at his core, is, is who he is. Uh, just a really genuinely nice guy that. I think is any like any other Minnesotan, and he just happened to be uh, uber talented at baseball. One thing that I think maybe we forget about sometimes, and maybe was one of the things, kind of the the you know, if there's like a tiebreaker or a thing that like you look at and you say, okay, like he's got all these things in his resume, and he has this is Joe Maurer was a hell of a catcher. Like defensively, he was like one of the best. He caught you, I'm sure, numerous times. What what made him so good as a receiver? I, I think that, you know, when he started, when he, when he came up, when I came up, there was no metrics. There was no strike zone judging or grading. The strike zone was based on who was on the mound, who was at the plate, and who was behind the plate as far as the catcher goes. And so when you had Joe back there, uh, that was a really nice guy that got along with the umpires, that had a reputation as a guy that knew the strike zone as a hitter, he was going to get you calls. Um, but I, you know, when you actually watch him receive the ball, I, I think that teams, even today with the way that they analyze and the way that they, they coach catching could watch videos of Joe Maurer. He just did all the things naturally that they try to teach guys to do now. 
with where you position your glove, how you frame pitches, how you pull pitches back into the zone. He did all of those things without having any idea that, that you know, 20 years down the road, this is how catching was going to be taught, and this is how we were going to try to trick umpires. He was able to do that just based on natural talent. And I think then once I transitioned to the bullpen and started throwing fastballs up in the zone, when I realized that this is where I was going to have success, it just so happened that he was 6'5 behind the plate and was a little bit taller, bigger of a target, and I could throw the ball right at his mask. And he could set up on the inside corner. If I hit him in the face, they weren't going to be able to touch me. And so it just became incredibly easy for me to work with him. But he he was and, and you know is one of the best catchers, one of the best receiving catchers of all time. It got overshadowed by how good he was at the plate. Everybody would say he's a catcher, but he can hit like like a like a, a, a you know a third baseman, a first baseman, a corner outfielder. His catching ability got overshadowed by that, even though he did win gold gloves. But but he was, uh, like I said, he was one of the best catchers in baseball history. You think because, and I asked Lavelle this the other day. Do you think because he was, you know, naturally, but also worked on it, so good at pretty much everything that we we took some of what he did for granted, even while we were watching it. Like not necessarily you, but or a teammate, but like people who were watching his career unfold is like, oh yeah, that's just what Joe does. He was very easy to take for granted. And I think maybe that's why I don't have the same awestruckness about him that I do about Frank Thomas or Jim Tomey, because he just went about his business. I was joking with Gardy last night uh, in Fargo. There's never been a guy that, that played for as long as he did and was as successful as he was that didn't have to make an adjustment. He was the perfect hitter and the perfect baseball player from the moment he stepped on the field, probably as like a five-year-old. And, and he just was able to do what he did, and it came so naturally to him. So, yeah, I think that we all took him for granted. And that, and part of that is it, it just looked so easy. He never he – never, like he, he worked as hard as anybody I ever played with. Don't get me wrong. But when he was on the field, it was so natural and so easy for him. Uh, that that he just he he almost in a way blended in, but I, I think the the, the best kind of story that I have about that, the most eye opening thing for me was in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were with the World Baseball Classic, Team USA, and I'm standing out in left field with Craig Kimber, who at the time was as nasty as any pitcher in baseball. And Joe's hitting in the cage, and he says, "I don't know how I would ever get this guy out." And I'm thinking like. Well, Craig, you you throw a hundred with a with an absolute hammer curveball like that will probably get him out. And he and he's like said he is the best hitter I have ever seen. And that's when it made me realize and appreciate like okay, this guy, this guy, I am taking him for granted. And yeah. and, and that's it, it goes back to that where where you you don't realize it when you get to see him play every day. But I, I think the perception outside of Minnesota. That's why he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I think that the, the national media, the national uh, perception of him was was very different than the perception inside of this state. Obviously, a Hall of Fame baseball player was a top, you know, national quarterback recruit in high school. Could have gone to Florida State, which was like the program at the time. He was like a you know really good basketball player. Probably could have played at least like mid major college basketball, if not higher. Um, and I've also heard that he is maybe one of the best ping pong table tennis players ever. Have you witnessed that portion of the Joe Maurer repertoire? 
Uh, yeah, we actually we actually used to travel with a miniature ping pong table. Is that true? Um, okay. Yes, and we would set it up in. I would set it up in my room, and he would come over on the road, and we would play ping pong on a miniature table. Um, I mean, you can imagine he can hit baseballs traveling a hundred plus miles an hour. You can recognize spin on baseballs traveling ninety plus miles an hour. Like, I I I could I could hang with him, but I would say if we played a hundred games, he was going to win ninety five. Sure. Um, but he's good at, he's good at everything he does. He truly is like, that's, that's not exaggerating. Like there is nothing that he's not good at, but that's what happens when you have uh supernatural eyesight, hand-eye coordination and athletic ability. A couple more things on Joe that I want to ask you a couple things about this year's team. Um, and you guys are, you, you mentioned to me, I said, you guys are pretty close in age. You said, yeah, six weeks apart. Didn't realize it was that close, but you guys were like, high school contemporaries, even if you didn't compete in the same league, play against each other. But the mythology of Joe was kind of already building at that point. Obviously, he was so good at Creighton, becomes the number one overall pick of the Twins. Like what? I just it, it kind of almost boggles my mind that someone with kind of those expectations, even with those credentials, that his career plays out in the way that he becomes a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like it's, it's almost like it's, you you think it could happen when it's at the origin, but so many things happen to so many players along the way that it it rarely ever works out that way. You truly couldn't make up his story. Like no movie writer, no script writer could write this this script. You just can't. All of the things that that had to come together for it to happen are impossible. And not to mention the fact that how how do you get that good? in Minnesota when it, you know, we're sitting here on January 25th and the, you know, there's snow on the ground and it's not as cold as it normally is, but to be able to do what he did, to be able to get as good as he did from here is, is, is impossible. Um, And, but the the entire story is that that's, that's Joe. He's supernatural. He's, you know, one of his nicknames was super Joe. And, And that's why, that's why he was able to do it. Like nobody else could have done that except Joe Mauer. You were a lefty. He's a lefty. One last thing. If you were going to try to get him out at your heyday and his heyday, how would you approach Joe Mauer? See, the only guy that ever could get him out consistently was James Shields. And that's because he had a really good changeup and he would fall behind like 2-1 or 3-1 and then throw a changeup down and away. I don't know what I would have done with him. Um, I, I think any tough lefty that I ever faced that had good strike zone control, um, that wouldn't chase, that didn't swing and miss, I would just try to elevate fastballs and hope they hit it in the air. I would try to get Joe to hit it in the air. Uh, It would probably be more for me, like I would have done what the Royals did and I would have put the center fielder in left center and I would have put the left fielder on the left field line and just hope that he hit a line drive to one of those guys. (laughs) I wasn't going to get him to swing and miss. I wasn't going to get him to chase the slider in the dirt. Uh, I, I, it, it would have literally just been like, here's a fastball, hit it at somebody and get yourself out. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Um, Glenn, you, you're going to do, yeah, I think you said to me, what, 48 games on TV this year as an analyst and 28 on the radio. That's awesome. We, we love to hear your voice in both of those mediums. You've gotten really good at that over the years. You bring a certain, obviously, player's perspective, but you dive into the analytics, you 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 have a great knowledge for the game. 
Speaking of that knowledge of the game, what of the 2024 Twins that we know so far, kind of coming off a season where, you know, they kind of took a while to get it going. The pitching was great at the beginning, but it took a while for the hitting to get going. Then all of a sudden they they get on a run. They win a playoff series. They kind of break that streak. What about this year intrigues you? And what about this year maybe gives you some caution as to like, hey, I, I want to see this and this before I'm all in on the 2024 team? I don't, I don't know if there's particularly anything that I want to see. I think that they could benefit from getting one more starting pitcher. I think that that would strengthen their bullpen. If that gives Louis Varland the opportunity to go out there and throw 100 miles an hour, I think that he's a weapon out there. Um, the, the innings, you know, I think Chris Paddock coming back uh, is going to kind of fill that Kenta Maeda role of – 100 to 150 innings, somewhere in that range. I don't think they can lean on him for 32 starts this year. So maybe having a little bit more depth in the rotation. Um, but the top of that rotation is, is still really good, even without Sonny Gray. I, I would imagine that we'll see an imp- even a more improved version of Joe Ryan. Um, he's another guy that loves to tinker, that loves to make adjustments, that works his butt off in the offseason and throughout the season. But he's always trying to find ways to make himself better. And, and then they have a guy at the top of the rotation that's, that's in my eyes, one of the top five starting pitchers in baseball. And that's not something the Twins have had in 20 years. Johan Santana yeah. is the only guy uh, that, that can maybe surpass Pablo. But if Pablo isn't getting top three Cy Young votes at the end of this season, I would be absolutely floored. And so that's a really good place to start from. And, and I think the offense – what they did in the second half is more indicative of their talent, and they did that without Byron Buxton. A healthy Byron Buxton, obviously, that's a huge question mark, but yes. can change that lineup even further. Um, it, for, for me, it's just other than maybe getting another guy that I think if they could identify somebody that could be this year's version of Pablo, um, they're a pretty well-rounded team. They have an incredible bullpen, very deep bullpen. Um, that that rotation that I mentioned, and if the offense can be more of that second half version, it's a team that should run away with the central division. And then they have the top end pitching to compete in a series again. The playoffs, the playoffs are funny. It, it's it's not usually the best team that wins in baseball in the playoffs. It's the hottest team, yeah. it's the healthiest team, and it's the deepest team. That's what the Rangers were. We saw the Rangers at the end of August. In this, I think maybe in early September, it was like seven games out of 10 against them. And they look terrible. Yeah. Like the Twins won six out of those seven. And then they get hot, they get healthy. They got Jonah Heim back and they're deep. They're very deep. But uh, the, the Twins lineup is deep when they're all swinging well, when they're right, when they're healthy. And we saw that in the second half. So hopefully we'll see that from the get-go. Um, but if this team can compete the way they're built right now. I think they're projected a top five offense, a top five starting staff in a top five bullpen. And, and that's that's a pretty dang good place to be on January 25th with, I think, some improvements to come. Joe Ryan taking another step is feels like kind of a domino or a key to unlocking a lot of this, at least, at least if they don't bring in a Sonny Gray-type replacement. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's probably number one <laughs> is uh, is getting him to be first half Joe Ryan, you know, Joe Ryan from April 1st to June 21st or whatever it was before that Atlanta start, you know, you you always going into an off season when you, when you think about where guys were, it's easier to remember the second half of the season than the first half. Joe Ryan was on on pace to start the all-star game 
into late June. That's almost yeah. three months of the season where it was he was a lock to go to the All-Star game. He was in the short conversation on the short list to start that game. And I think that's more indicative of the pitcher he is than what we saw maybe in that chunk of games uh, after he came back until later September. So he's a guy that wants to work. He's a guy that wants to be good. Um, and I, I have a lot of faith in him too. So I think he, yeah, maybe is more uh, of a linchpin for this team than, than any other guy. Royce Lewis is guy that really, I mean, he impressed everybody last year. You've, I'm sure you've been around him um, a, a bit, at least so far. Like the accolades, the, you got to be careful because it's such a small sample size. But, you know, you start to think, like, is this the next blank? Like his leadership, the way he the way he hit in the playoffs, the way he hit the grand slams when they needed it. Like, where what, what do you make of him at this point? Like, where's where's the ceiling? Who, who's the who's the proper comparison in Twins history? Because I got to I got I to watch myself before I get too excited about this guy. He uh, he is. uh He's a superstar. And and when you can come up and have an impact like he did, that's what superstars do. This isn't a flash in the pan. Like he was a number one pick. He was a first overall pick for a reason. Um, it's easy to, to forget that he basically didn't play baseball for three years. That's and the, then and that's what up, made last year crazy, like that he did that last year on that. Right. And he came up and was one of the best players in baseball immediately. Uh, the the talent he's uber talented. It's off the charts. His poise, his makeup, all of those things are are off the charts. Um, and he's one of those guys that just has the ability to rise to the occasion. The the moment he meets the moment, he exceeds the moment. It never gets too big for him. And uh, he did all of those things, like I said, while while basically not having a minor league career. So the the sky is absolutely the limit for him. And you just want a kid like that to be able to stay healthy and to be able to get his five or 600 plate appearances because the numbers that he'll put up uh, will blow your mind. He, he can do everything at the plate uh, that, that any of the best hitters in baseball can do. He makes contact. His barrel is in the zone. He hits the ball hard. He can hit all of the pitches in all of the locations, um, you know, and, and with experience, He's you got to believe that he's going to get better. And it's hard to believe that a kid like that can get better, but, but he truly is that good. He's, he's one of those guys, you know, I I told the story last night in in Fargo, Jim told me in 2011, when he hit the walk-off against Matt Thornton, I had pitched early in that game and he was walking up and down the dugout like he would do when he was bored in between at bats. And he looked at me and he said, Perk, I got a feeling something special is going to happen tonight. <laughs> and then, you know, an hour later, he hits a walk-off home run. Royce, to me, is that kind of guy. Like, there's very few players that come along that know that they're going to do something special, get that feeling, and then go out there and do something special. Royce Lewis in that first playoff game, I mean, come on. Like, who does that? Who, who puts a team on his back and lights target field on fire the way that he did? other than some guy that that is just supernatural. Last thing, you just mentioned you were in Fargo, you were in Sioux Falls before that, you were on the caravan, still, of course, very connected to this team, um, obviously with you know the analyst roles. What was, and we got Twins Fest this weekend, camp's only a few weeks away. Like, what's what's the pulse? What was the, what were you, how are you feeling the pulse of Twins fans in uh, Sioux Falls and Fargo right now? Uh, they're excited. 
they're 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 very excited. There was a lot of them that were at those playoff games, which I think was really cool because we were three four hours away from the Twin Cities, and I, I think that seeing that that's what makes Caravan great when you can get out of of you know Minneapolis and St. Paul, Hennepin, Ramsey County, that you know the surrounding suburbs. When you get away from that and you see how many fans are out there and the questions that they would ask, it, it was awesome to see their enthusiasm to see their excitement. And then, you know, the, the best part, you, you do these, you're sitting up on a stage in front of all these people and they ask some questions and then they come through the autograph line and you get to have a little bit more of a personal interaction with them um, and, and get even better questions. And they tell you, I can't wait for this game. I already have my tickets for this series. Are they going to get back to the playoffs? I'm already saving up to go to the playoff games. Like those are the kind of things that you love to see, but the enthusiasm off the charts um, we got a we got a lot of questions about if they're going to make moves because nothing's happened yet. We got a lot of questions about where are we going to be able to watch them. So yeah. those were the maybe the concerns, but I think those things will all be addressed before opening day. And uh, but overall, the, the the enthusiasm was great to see. Awesome, Glenn Perkins. Appreciate this uh, as always. Be well. Take care. We'll listen to you this season, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, good to be with you, Mike. Thank you. Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. Great to catch up with Glenn Perkins. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Couple thoughts I had. One, I liked how he framed the season coming up for the Twins. Maybe a little bit more optimistic than I've been lately, than some fans have been lately. You heard Derek Falvey this week talking about, yeah, they haven't made many moves yet. They're still kind of wondering what they're going to do because the payroll is in flux, right? They're still waiting to see what's going to happen with the with the TV situation like Perkins talked about. But if you just kind of look at the core of this team, about the guys that are coming back, if healthy, healthy Buxton, big deal, obviously healthy Royce Lewis, big deal. If they have all those guys, all those pieces healthy and playing at a high level, yes, this still should be a good team. This still should be a team that is the favorite to win another week AL Central. But he's higher on some of these guys than I am, or, or maybe has been around them enough to think, okay, the good, the more good we saw was was outweighing whatever bad we saw. Guys like Joe Ryan. If Joe Ryan can be a number two starter, and Joe, you know, and and uh, Glenn was right, like he was pitching like that for the first half of last season. He's got to put a whole season together. But he, if he can be that kind of sunny gray type for the entire season to go with Pablo Lopez, it takes a lot of the pressure off the rest of that rotation. Then Bailey Ober, Chris Paddock, whoever else they put in the rotation, whether it's Louis Varlin, whether it's other options they have um, still to come, that takes pressure off of them. Someone else doesn't have to be a number two. They can be a middle to bottom of the rotation guy, eat innings, give you good quality starts, but not have to be depended on to be that kind of pitcher at this point. So that's that's a big key to me. Uh, good of Glenn to outline that. The other thing that stands out is just thinking about what an athlete Joe Maurer was. Uh, you know, we know about the football. Obviously, we know about the baseball. He's a Hall of Famer. We know about the football. You know, number one recruit. Florida State could have gone and played quarterback there. There's some fun interplay at uh, when Joe visited the Hall of Fame Thursday, you can read about that at starttobe.com. He and Todd Helton, both quarterbacks. Helton was a quarterback at Tennessee. 
Um, Joe obviously didn't play in college, but had the opportunity. And they're kind of joking about who's the better quarterback, toss the football around, stuff like that. You forget too, Joe was a really good basketball player. He probably, like I said, he could have played. He could have played college basketball at some level. And then to think about, you know, the ping pong skills. And I love that story about bringing a miniature table on the road, setting it up in your hotel room, playing ping pong. These guys just like going at it. These competitors going at it. And Glenn Perkins, again, um, you know, a guy who can throw a ball 95, 97 miles an hour, extraordinary hand-eye coordination, a good athlete in his own right, you know, saying he can... He can hang with Joe Maurer, but basically he's going to lose 95 out of 100 times to Joe Maurer in ping pong because Joe Maurer is just that good. Like, and I, you know, I think a lot of us think of ourselves as okay athletes. I think of myself as an okay athlete, right? Like growing up, uh, baseball was my sport. I played all the way up through, you know, Legion ball, things like that. Played basketball, like pickup, played hockey where you go and skate at the pond, you know, play all sports, pickup football, tennis, like all golf, like in all of those things, I'm like, okay, I can, I can at least go and not embarrass myself. And in some cases, um, I'm better at some sports than others. But like to think about being so athletic that basically anything you try, you are the automatically right away the best at that thing. That's Joe Maurer. That's a, that's just an amazing thing to think about. Just realizing what kind of skills he brought to baseball, how he lent his athletic gifts to that one sport. Uh, it's just kind of an amazing thing to think about, especially in the context of Glenn Perkins sharing the uh, ping pong story with us today. Let us finish with the cooler. Raheem Morris is the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Interesting in that Bill Belichick interviewed twice for that job. That was believed to be the only job he interviewed for or was serious about and you heard, like, the whispers last week. Kirk Cousins getting asked, would you play with Bill Belichick if he was in, a, you know, in that, at that point, Atlanta was kind of the presumption. And Kirk Cousins saying, I wouldn't turn out a chance to play for a, you know, future Hall of Famer, things like that. There's, like, that little, like, connections, like, hey, if Belichick gets the Atlanta job, would they be interested in going after Cousins in free agency? Not that that's gone because they hired somebody different, but that connection is certainly gone. So I don't know if, if you have a, a Vikings kind of tangential angle to that, but if you think about that, um, there's no longer that Belichick uh, connection potentially in Atlanta, and there's no Belichick probably anywhere. And I don't know, it's interesting. Like you've got a potential Hall of Fame, not potentially, a future Hall of Fame coach, Bill Belichick, and you know, if they decided to go a different direction, decided to go younger, a coordinator, a guy who was the interim coach in Atlanta about four years ago before he, um, before they went a different direction, hired Arthur Smith. So they have to, they, they go back to that direction, you know, the former um, Rams defensive coordinator. Just an interesting hire, um, interesting dynamic at play here. Bill Belichick might not be in the NFL right this year. And if he's not in the NFL this year, who knows if and when he will get another chance, even with his all-time great resume. That'll do it for me today. That'll do it for the week. Plenty of good stuff coming up next week, including Royce on Monday. Until then, I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Monday.